the Interesting Conversations with Interesting People podcast series with author Nigel Beckles. Welcome to the podcast. podcast. Please like the podcast, podcast. and subscribe podcast. to this channel. Podcast. Thank you. The very best way to promote your podcasts. Podpage makes it easy to create a podcast website with just a few clicks. Every page is optimized to be found on Google and it stays up to date forever. For more information visit podpage.com. The future of podcast promotion. Have you experienced several failed relationships or been through a divorce? How can you avoid making the same mistakes again? How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes is out now. Hi, my name is Nigel Beckles. My new book is packed with practical and common sense strategies that you can use to make better relationship choices. Now you can discover the dangerous myths about love. If your relationship expectations are realistic, why you could be falling in love for all the wrong reasons. How to avoid making the big relationship mistakes. It's a book that could change your life. Available from Amazon.co.uk. Kindle version also available. Get ready for takeoff. Welcome back to my interesting conversations with interesting people podcast series. My guest for this episode is a barrister and also an author, Ryan Clement. Hi Ryan, welcome to my podcast series. How are you? I'm fine, thank you very much. Thank you for having me on your show. Great to have you here. So where do you live at the moment? I live in London, West London, Fulham, Hammersmith area. And that's where I've been most of my life. So what was your childhood like? A good childhood in Fulham. I would say a typical Caribbean home, I think, you know, talking to various people over the years. Sunday was very much the day that the gram was used. Monday to Saturday, you didn't touch the gram. In fact, you didn't even go in a certain room where the gram was. That was just on Sunday when um, your records came out and so on. But they was good. Um my mother was religious, so it was a it was a Christian home, and we we know we were brought up with certain values values that remain with me today. A good childhood. Well, you're black, and you're also a barrister. When did you become interested in UK law? Good question. Yeah, well, being a lawyer, being a barrister is my second profession. Uh, my first profession was a quantity surveyor, and so when I studied for my degree to become a quantity surveyor, we we had um the, the law elements of it, contract and tort. And I became very interested. I became interested in the legal arguments, the way certain things were interpreted. You read a judgment, you think, I've got it. It must be this way. And then the higher courts, be the Court of Appeal or the House of Laws, they were saying, or the Supreme Court today, will just put a totally different, I would say, spin on it. But, you know, they interpret things differently and it just totally switches your mind. And I was fascinated by that. So, so when I finished my degree, I met this person who worked for um, a city firm, lawyer, big lawyer's firm, and I spoke to her about it, and she gave me some guidance on what to do. I did what's called a conversion course, and second, then went into bar school, masters, and I just, I just loved it. I love the argument. It's great. It's a fascinating job. Well, you mentioned your degree. So, where did you study, and which qualifications did you obtain? I've got a bachelor of science in quantity surveying. I've got a postgraduate in law, Bachelor of Arts in English, Language and Literature, with degree in English. I've got a master's in law, the bar exam, and I did a chartered Institute of Arbitration exams as well. So yes, yeah, one or two. 
Well, you're certainly <laughs> highly qualified for the work you do now. I suppose I should go back and say how fortunate I was, the, the first degree, because I worked for a firm, a chartered surveyors in London, and they had a day release degree course. And so that was at South Bank in those days. In fact, those were the, I think, I believe there's only place you could do it in London. I believe I could be wrong. So they sent me there and I did my, finished my degree there. But as for the bar, that could only have been done in London when I did it. And so uh, when I finished that degree, the surveying degree, my master's was in Nottingham, my master's in law. So how difficult is it to be accepted as a member of the bar? It's challenging. You've got to be determined. So you, you cannot enter this profession half-heartedly and think, right, well, you know, I've got a law degree, I've got maybe a master's degree, and then that's it. I should say you don't actually have to have a law degree. You can do a conversion course as well. But you have to be determined. You have to be hardworking. And you have to be prepared to roll up your sleeves and expect some really long hours, ridiculously long hours. You know, someone could contact me on a Monday and saying, look, I've got a five-day trial. I thought I could do it myself, but now I realize I need representation. And the case is starting on Wednesday. And, you know, you can imagine you get the papers on a Monday to represent someone on a five-day trial starting on Wednesday. And you've got to be able to read quickly, grasp the facts quickly, and know your law. You research the law anyway, but you ought to know quite a lot of law, otherwise there's no way you're going to be prepared in a position, rather, to represent some of the five-day trial in such short notice. So it, it's hard work. It's, it's very competitive as well, but, it, but it's fun. It is fun. It's hard work, but the rewards are there. So how long have you been a barrister? Oh, my God. This year, in fact, in October 10, it's going to make it 25 years since I've been at the bar. So I was called to the bar October 10, 1996. And uh, I've been practicing ever since. So I've, I, once I entered the bar, I've done nothing else but practice. And I say I've been fortunate because I, I know many people who pass the bar exams but can't get into chambers. The various difficult levels, you pass what's called the academic stage that you asked me about, the qualifications. Then you've got to pass the bar exam in itself is not an easy thing, but you work hard to pass it. But then you've got to secure pupillage, which is like an apprenticeship. And then you've got to secure tenancy which has been to practice in chambers. So the very stages, but I've been fortunate that once I entered into the bar, then it's kept me going for 25 years. So what type of cases do you specialise in? Well, when I first came to the bar, civil work, that's effectively one party suing another party in the civil courts, you know, the county court, high court, and so on. I think it's my pupillage, I think. I was introduced to a case where I was asked to represent someone in a sex discrimination case against a large government organization that was my first big case and we won that case and because of that it was covered in the national papers as a result of that few people read it and came to me and then i did another big case someone who'd read i think an article in the national paper and so we had another big case against a government organization that was a sex discrimination case as well and won that one and because of those two cases and that launched me been an, an employment law specialist so over the years I was in a position where I didn't have to do any other area of law. I mean, you have to, sometimes you have to when you're starting off to, to pay the bills. But I was fortunate that I, I specialised so early that I had enough work in employment law um, to keep me going. And now that's what I do. That keeps me very busy booking till next year, well into next year. Well, it's certainly a very interesting area of work. And I can see why you mm. would be unindated with inquiries. It is an interesting area of work. 
you have some cases that are very ex- extremely difficult, like discrimination cases by their very nature are very difficult cases to fight because, you know, contrary to what some people might think, people don't just jump up and say, yes, I'm guilty. I discriminate against some of the grounds of their race. <laughs> people don't do that. And sometimes if you're representing a claimant, for example, and you're seeing a respondent to be the employer, sometimes the people who work for the employer don't even know themselves they're discriminated. They don't see it. The buzz thing is they unconscious bias. They don't actually know they're acting in a particular way. And those cases, they're hard because they're hard for the employer to even accept that they've treated someone less favorably because of a protected characteristic when they think, well, actually, well, no, that's what we always do. Well, yeah, but what you always do and what you always did was wrong. So, yeah, it's very interesting. So you deal with race discrimination cases as well? Absolutely. The, the, I do the whole aspect of employment law. So where it be unfair dismissal, wrongful dismissal, race, sex, the whole lot, disability. So lots of race cases as well. A lot of them. Well, you've written many articles for various publications. Where have yeah. you been published? Which publications have you written for? Oh, my goodness me. A lot of the, the leading legal magazines. The big two in the UK uh, will be Solicitor's Journal, which is a journal I mean, for solicitors and other lawyers as well, and New Law Journal. And I used to write for the, the Solicitor's Journal, I used to write of the quarterly employment law update. And that was very interesting because, of course, you know, you're researching the various things and you are informing people of what cases you think have been interesting that they ought to know about. That was a very good role to have, to be in that position, writing those articles. But I mean, I've written from loads. Uh, you know, you can practice as a lawyer and not really write very much apart from writing an opinion for your client. But I, but I love writing. I think what, what I enjoy more, I think, is in a complex case, complex law, and simplify it through the medium of writing so people can understand it. You know, I'm not writing for lawyers. I'm writing for anyone to read and say, you know what, I, I get it. Yeah, right. I didn't know that, but I've got it now. And that's a joy. Well, I think we follow the same thinking in terms of Albert Einstein. Einstein said, if you can't explain it simply, you don't understand it properly. That's right. For me to just make a comment and you, you mention Einstein, I'm happy with that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the closest I'll get to Einstein in a sentence. <laughs> but no, but that's absolutely right. I, I do believe in that. I do believe in that. Well, we touched on racism earlier. How much is racism a problem in your profession, in your opinion? In my opinion, that's a very good question. So it's a tough, tough one to answer because I often question why I see so many solicitors, let's say black solicitors or non-white solicitors, but I don't see the same level of representation at the bar. Now, bear in mind, the academic stage is the same. So if you do a law degree or you do a conversion course, that's the same whether you're a solicitor or a barrister. I'd like to think that there are many who see themselves as advocates, which is what we do. We go to court and we speak. I do wonder why there are more of a high representation of solicitors than there are barristers. But some may be put off of going into that self-employed, because at the private bar, we're all self-employed. And the question is, why are they so few at the bar? Whether it's down to racism or whether it's down to something else, the question needs to be answered, in my view. Well, you mentioned your love of writing. You're also a published author. How many books have you written before and what were they about? 
at the moment, I've written two books. One's a novel called Like Father, Like Son. The creative side of me, I did do creative writing and I did a screenwriting course as well. So I like that side of things. So one's called Like Father, Like Son, which is effectively around five characters, Patricia, Rupert, Josephine, Donna and Dexter. And that interaction, it's written the first person where it goes through various trials and tribulations, which obviously one doesn't want to spoil it for a reader. But that was fun. That was, that was, I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed it. It's 110,000 words and knackered me writing it. But I found when I, when I wrote it, it was one thing to edit it about 10 times, 110,000 words. You know how the story ends. You still got to read it again to edit it. You know, I don't know if you've written anything yourself, but it's, it's, the editing process is, is part of the process. But gosh, it's slow. It is very, very slow. Well, being an author myself, but mm. I have an editor. So once I've done the draft, right, then yeah. I just pass it over to my editor, who's great. One of the things I read before I published my first book was that sometimes you can get too close to your own material. Sometimes you don't see the wood for the trees. My first draft was 800 pages. <laughs> I couldn't tell you how many words it was. Gosh. But we got it down to yeah. 400 pages. Yeah, I mean, it, it is better, I think, to write it, do your thing, and let someone go through another f- fresh pair of eyes to go through it. The second book, which is nonfiction, which is Race Relations and Employment Law, that's 40-odd thousand words. And, and that one is my, t- not my take, it's, it's put in a lot of my experience and things where I've gone from the beginning where I think race relations start in this country. And when I've gone right back to the beginning, the first time that I could find it is even mentioned in Parliament that we should have a Race Relations Act, which is the, 19, the Race Relations 1965 Act and 68 and 76. And I've gone right back and I read a lot. I did a lot of research on that, reading Hansard. So I've done the beginning of that. And then, then what I've then done is introduce people to the concepts under the race relations. So, you know, like direct and indirect discrimination, harassment and victimization. They're the main four things that you will come across in regards to discrimination anyway. And then I've written about taking all the way through if someone as a claimant were to bring a case in employment tribunal, then every step, they do a witness statement, they do, you know, if you're going to do a COP3, which is something you use a settlement agreement with, with ACAS, or a settlement agreement itself, private with your employer, all the way through to remedy the whole lot, whether you're a claimant or respondent. At the end, I touch on a diversity awareness and training, inclusion and then i end up with training and also i've got extracts of the key statutes at the back so it's, it's a one-stop book for um say claimants and respondents and i try to write it in as easier uh, as easy a form as i as i could to digest it that one i i enjoyed one thing i did the editing myself i enjoyed that i i enjoyed it because you know it saddens me somewhat when someone comes to me i think they have a good case but gosh They've pleaded a case themselves. They've missed the point, so they can't get their true case in because the time's gone or they're too late. They say they're talking to me in, in July of the year, and they're saying, yeah, I was discriminated against in December. And what they tell me seems to be quite a powerful case. But I say, you know what, you're out of time. You've got to bring it within three months. And it's just like these sort of things. And, you know, the, the book covers as much as I, whatever I can think of that I've, I've encountered in practice. So it's a very practical book. Well, being a former Unison representative myself, yes, time limits are important because I've been in similar situations where someone approaches me with a case and they're out of time. Yeah. So your latest book, 
which has been recently published. What's that about and what's it called? But put simply in black and white, race relations in employment law. So I've kept it to race relations as opposed to the other areas of protected characteristics like disability, age and so on. I've written it in a way where I've also used real characters as an example. There's a Stephanie going for a case and Delroy going for a case. And I've showed how you let the pleadings, how you defend the pleadings, how you write your witness statement, how you write a counter witness statement. It's there in practical form. I hope I've achieved what I set out to do. What I set out to do is that someone can pick up this book, whether they've embarked on issuing a case or had a case issued against them, they can read it and digest it. You know, it's not like a novel. You, you don't have to start on page one, but you can do. And the same token, you can read and think, you know what? I know something now. I know my rights. Or I, I, I know what someone's alleged against me is something that is baseless. But knowing your rights empowers you. It's not about creating an environment where people are taking their employer to, to court every minute. It's not about that. It's about empowering you so you know what your rights are, whether you, you feel you've been victimized or understanding what these things mean. The amount of times someone will come to me and say, I, I've been victimized. You may be victimized in a common parlance way, but under the Equality Act, victimization means something. You've got to have a protected act. What's a protected act? And then sometimes people say, I've got a clue. I've been discriminated against because of this. And I said, well, right, let's, let's go for the cause and effect. Why do you say being discriminated against on the grounds of your, because of your race? And they'll say, well, because that person is, is white or whatever, and I'm black. Okay, well, give me more. You must make a connection. We'll have a race as far as the Equality Act is concerned. It's not enough to say I was treated this way and the other person that treated me of a, a different race. Because you know what? You could be treated less favorably by someone of the same race. <laughs> you don't have to be of a different race. It can be, you know, in the same way an English person can treat another English person less favorably. You don't have to be a different race for that. So it's hopefully that the book just makes people think and think, yeah, I get it. I understand it now. I hope I, hope I achieve that anyway. That's what I set out to do. So, Ryan, what are your plans for the future? I think more writing. I love it. I love the writing. It's hard work preparing cross-examination and closing submissions at, you know, one, two o'clock in the morning when court starts at 10 a.m. or you have to get on a train or drive a couple hundred miles somewhere to court. I enjoy writing. I enjoy writing. If I can put some of that creative, whatever one's created in, um, in print or my experience as a lawyer in print, then I'll be happy doing that now. I leave it to those who have that energy to run around the country fighting these cases. I don't mind doing the odd few, but it's hard work and it's tiring. It's time. 25 years at the bar, it's, it's taking its toll now, I think. So are you retired now? No, no, I'm still, I'm still very, very active. I, I can't seem to say no when someone comes through the case that I think, you know what, all right, I, I'll fight it. I'll fight it for you. And then, and then come months later when I'm reading two or three lever arch files and I've got a, a, a case to pay for, I think, oh my goodness me. But no, no, I'm, I'm still very much in the thick of things. Eventually, I'd like the writing to take over eventually and just do the odd few cases i know i'll be happy with happy with that i think so your plans are to wind down eventually yeah wind down a comfortable place where i can write <laughs> and do the odd cases and play some some music while i'm writing a bit of jazz or something that's certainly fine <laughs> a bit of cold train or miles i'm happy <laughs> i can't play the r&b because i played that i was about to try and sing along with luther and stevie and that's not good that's not a good sign 
it is to to wind down to wind down but but not stop completely i've got an active mind and i have to keep it active for a long time so ryan how can people contact you i've got my own website and www.ryanclement.com and also www.conferencechambers.com or they can email me at ryan at ryanclement.com and like a good self i'm all over social media as well contact by all means do Ryan in London, in the UK. Thank you very much for your time. Much appreciated. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Please like, share, and follow author Nigel Beckles' podcasts on Anchor, Amazon Audible, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms for more great interviews. Thanks. Thanks.